Uh, the last couple of weeks, we have, we've heard uh, stories about lives uh, that have been impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, every one of us has a story to tell on one level or another. And uh, so we're celebrating this month because we believe that God's call on Green Tree Community Church is just that, very practically speaking, to impact lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so a couple of weeks ago, Jill Moeller uh, was, uh, was brave enough to share her story. Last week, Chris uh, Rothrock was brave enough to share his story. But both, I said in the first service, both of them were really brave because they allowed uh, us to have a DVD of them. But they weren't super brave. Super brave means you actually come and you talk live to the congregation. And Maureen Rogers is super brave because she is going to share uh, with you live this morning uh, some of her story and some of what God uh, is doing in her life. So, Maureen, thank you for being uh, brave. And I, as I told you in the first service, this is really a nice group of people. Uh, they'll treat you very well. But seriously, thanks for coming and sharing with us. Good morning, and thank you for allowing me to share my story on my journey with God. At age 25 years old, a couple years after being married to my neighborhood sweetheart, I became pregnant. After nine months of a very easy and perfect pregnancy, I went into labor, and during delivery is where my life began to shatter. I had a bacterial infection that the doctors were not aware of, so during labor there were many problems and when my son Kyle was born, he was completely infected with it. And as they went to weigh him, he started gasping for air, so they rushed him off. About two hours later, the doctor returned to us to let us know the numerous medical issues that my son had and literally stated, if he makes it through the next two to three hours, we'll be doing good. He said he's the sickest baby we've seen here in about a year and a half. Because of the infection, I could not see him for a period of 24 hours after delivery. And during that time, they put him on a jet ventilator, which pumped 400 breaths per minute into his lungs and indicated if that did not work, the only hope left was to be on, put on equipment called ECMO. ECMO is life support with a minimal survival rate as there's a large tube that goes in the main artery, takes blood out of the body, pumps oxygen in it, and puts it back into the body. After about five days, Kyle's lungs began to collapse, and they called in a priest to baptize him as they did not think he was going to survive. We then were told that he was going to be transferred to Cardinal Glennon and um, be put on ECMO, which we knew was his last hope. Needless to say, this being my first boy, I was beyond devastated, and this is where my journey began. While at both St. John's Hospital and Cardinal Glennon, I visited the chapel every day to pray to God, which at that time I really did not know how to do, to please save my baby and help me maintain my sanity because I so often felt as if I was losing it. Believe it or not, after only 30 days in the hospital, my determined baby boy came home. As everyone at both hospitals called him a miracle child, I knew this was only possible with God's grace. As you might imagine, we had several more trips to the hospital for numerous reasons, numerous medical reasons, and at about age six months old, Kyle began both occupational and physical therapy several times a week, and at age four, he was diagnosed with autism. Obviously, along the way, I had to learn a whole different way of parenting, which including keeping things very consistent, fighting for his education, dealing with sleeping difficulties, finding daycare providers that would care for Kyle, dealing with his ongoing aggressiveness, 
avoiding large crowds, avoiding places that were loud, avoiding places that did not provide adequate personal space for Kyle, his never being invited to birthday parties or other child events, learning how to guess when he was sick as well as what his wants and needs were because he couldn't communicate them, learning how to know when he was in pain as he had very high pain tolerance, being prepared for a tantrum at any moment and dealing with the looks that I got in public when he spoke, had a tantrum, or flapped his arms with excitement. I also had to deal with teaching him everything that comes so naturally to most kids. All this caused me to truly struggle with God. With being the perfectionist I was, this was certainly not in my plans. I so often asked God what I had done to deserve this. I also continually asked him why I could not do all the other things my friends were doing with their children. I felt such guilt as if I had done something wrong somewhere along the line and God was punishing me. I felt ashamed when people looked at us while in public, which made me reluctant to take Kyle anywhere. I did ask God many times, why me, and was flat out angry with him because of my struggles. It was only after my marriage dissolved and I got to the point of feeling hopeless that I turned to God. When Kyle was about 10 years old, God helped my perception begin to change. Over time, I truly realized God gave me this child as a precious gift, and his desire for me was not only to love him unconditionally, but also to accept him unconditionally. While it most definitely took time for me to get there, I do truly thank God every night for my wonderful young man. As my faith grew, I became more intimate with God. I also desired to participate in a church where my son and I felt accepted. And after several churches, nearly after trying several churches, nearly given up, I found Green Tree Community Church. And I would like to share just a few of the miraculous touching moments while attending Green Tree Church. In my very first visit, I ran into a previous business acquaintance who now I have been working for for the past two years, doing what I so desire, working the better, working to make the world a better place for senior adults. I was so anxious about bringing Kyle to church for the first time, as he is very perceptive, and much to my surprise, it was apparent that he was completely comfortable at Green Tree Church. And now remind you, I would have never imagined him being able to sit through a 45 to one hour service. Not only is Kyle comfortable here, but several members have literally stopped me to share with me how wonderful it is that he attends and how much they enjoy seeing him here. It is very apparent to me as his mother that Kyle has a true connection with God, even though he cannot articulate it. It is truly amazing how God works through each one of us. We just have to remember to take the time and pay attention to hear him. Thank you for your time and allowing me to share my journey. I was so excited for that story this morning because it speaks so directly to the vision uh, that we need to have a Green Tree Community Church. Uh, all the stories, I, I think, in one way or another have, but um, the idea that uh, we can uh, be a spiritual family that is welcoming and is uh, sensitive to those who come our way is such an encouraging message to me. And all three of the stories we've heard so far, and next week's story, as a matter of fact, too, you know, Jill's story and Chris's and Maureen's, 
they seem to, in my mind, to beg a bigger question that I want us to talk about and examine this morning through a passage of Scripture we're going to look at in Second Corinthians in just a minute. We're going to take a break from Genesis. We'll be back in Genesis after the Christmas season's over in, in, uh, in January. But, but these stories, and again, the story we're going to hear next Sunday as we look at the lives that God's touching at Green Tree, seem to ask the question, what kind of church do we want to be? What kind of individual disciples of Jesus do we want to be? When you walk out of these doors, when I leave here on Sunday morning, you know, we're together for about an hour, hour and a half on Sundays, maybe two hours if you, if you come to Sunday school as well. And then we're scattered throughout the week. And we may run into one another, or you might be in a community group with a, with a few folks at Green Tree, but primarily we're out in the world the vast majority of our time. In those moments, not just here on Sunday mornings, what kind of church do we want to be? What kind of church should we be? I think one of the things that all of these stories have in common is that God is doing a work in people's lives through Green Tree Community Church. That in fact, God is bringing into our spiritual family. He's bringing uh, hurt. He's bringing needs. He's giving us the opportunity, in a sense, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. He's bringing people to us that don't know Christ for salvation, and they're finding salvation here. Maybe the better way to say it is that God is finding them here and revealing himself to them. But how do we respond? How, how are our lives, which also need the gospel uh, transforming our lives daily, it's not like we've arrived and we're hoping to bring others up to our stature, but how does the gospel impact us on a daily basis? So that your life, that my life, whether it's here, whether we're together corporately or whether we're individually, how do we respond to the world around us? What will guide our vision in the year 2010 and beyond? Well, I'm going to try and keep it simple because it helps me to keep it simple. It helps me to just have one or two things to kind of hang my hat on. I'm going to suggest to you this morning out of this passage in 2 Corinthians that there are two things that are of paramount importance to Green Tree Community Church. The first is this. The first is that we see the world through the eyes of Jesus. That you and I, when we interact with the world, that we see the world through the eyes of Christ. The second thing, which I think is even more fundamentally important, is that we see ourselves as Jesus sees us. That when you look in the mirror, when I look in the mirror, so to speak, what we see looking back at us is a reflection of what Christ wants us to see and not some of the the lies that we have believed about ourselves. If we're going to have an impact, if we're going to be able to be used by God in his transformation process, in his salvation process, then we need to see the world as Jesus sees it. And we need to see ourselves as Christ sees us. And I believe that's what this passage teaches us. So with that in mind, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, uh, the passage will be on the screen. We're going to just look at four verses this morning. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 through 17. Hear the word of God. For the love of Christ controls us. If you have an, in a New International Version, your Bible reads, and the love of Christ compels us, uh, I think controls is actually the better word here, and we'll talk about that in a couple minutes. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sakes died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 
He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone. Be glory. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, as we have uh, worshipped you with our, with our voices, we have sung your praise, uh, that you are all that we need. You are more than enough, that you are the one who has set us free from the death sentence under which we lived, that you alone are the one in whom we need to be found. Father, we've heard uh, Maureen's story of your grace and your mercy even in very difficult and trying circumstances, even in in challenges, much of which that was completely beyond her control. Father, you were the faithful one. Lord, now as we study your word, as we apply our minds to worship you, Father, may your truth sink deeply into our hearts. It's not my word that's important. It's not what I have to say. It's not how I, I address this passage. Lord God, it is your living word that is making a difference in this world. It's the only power that can ultimately make the most important difference in each one of our hearts. So Lord Jesus, I pray that you would move me out of the way. Forgive me for my sin. Don't let it stand and block someone who needs to know your truth. Lord Jesus, come and be our teacher. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, I want to try and answer the question, uh, what kind of church do we want to be? What kind of vision should we have as we look to the future by uh, looking at this text, which I believe asks and answers four questions, one in each verse that we're going to consider this morning. And so uh, I want to approach it that way and ask the question, look at the verse, and then see what answer the verse gives. And so the four questions that we're going to work through this morning are, what are our, what's our motivation? What will be our priorities? Who will benefit? And where do we begin? Uh, let's look first of all at that question. What is our motivation? Paul writes in verse 14 the following, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died. Paul says the love of Christ controls us. If you're an underliner in your Bible like I am, underline that word controls or jot that down in your notes if you're taking notes. That word, that word control means to exercise a constraining influence. It means that there is a, a power that is at work within our hearts and in our lives that dictates the way we think, the way we speak, and the way we act. That, that what's going on in our hearts, the work that God is doing in our hearts, works its way out into the way we live our lives. Paul says the love of Christ controls us. So I ask the question, what is our motivation? The motivation of our lives needs to be the love of Christ. But is that true? Could you say this morning, could I say this morning with a clear conscience and with a firm conviction, the love of Jesus controls me? It controls the way I think. It controls the way I speak. It controls the way I interact with you. It controls the way I interact with my family, with my wife, with my children. It controls the interactions I have in the community all week long. The love of Christ, Paul says, controls us. He doesn't say the love of Christ influences me. He doesn't say the love of Christ informs me. He says the love of Christ is the controlling influence in my life. Now, the fact that he words it this way seems to say to me that there are other influences that are vying for control of our lives, and I don't think you've you got to be a rocket science to figure this out. I think it's pretty basic. If you look at your life, there are certainly other messages 
that you're either kind of speaking to yourself or you're hearing from outside folks, maybe, maybe it's family members, maybe it's you know what the, the, the uh, messages you're hearing from the media that want to control your life in a different way. I thought about some of the things that control my life. I'm controlled oftentimes by comfort. I want things to be easy. I want things to be smooth. I don't want there to be a whole lot of bumps in the road. Uh, anybody that's come to work on the staff at Green Tree Church will tell you that within the first week of their being an employee at this church, I will sit them down and I'll say one very specific thing to them. I don't like what? Fill in the next word. Surprises. That's exactly right, Paul. I don't like surprises. Why? Because surprises tend to upset the apple cart. They, they tend to, they tend to, uh, end up making more time and more energy and more work. I want everything to be smooth. You ever find that the, the, the desire for comfort controls your life? You know, the love of Christ is comforting on the one hand, but it's also discomforting in that it's going to put you in places and have you rubbing elbows with folks that are in some ways really going to scare you to death. It's going to be outside of your control. Does the love of Christ control me enough to move me into those places? My career, my income level, I want those things to be good so that I can have the things in life that I like. Sometimes, if I'm really honest with you, I'll tell you that anger controls my life. That sometimes the, there's, there's an angst in my heart that comes out in the way I speak to family members, the way I speak and interact with my staff. And at that moment, the love of Christ is the furthest thing from my mind. What controls us? Is it true that the love of Christ controls His church? controls you as an individual, controls me as an individual, controls us corporately as a congregation. Is that accurate? I got an email back in, um, when did I get this email? In October. It's from um, uh, somebody in our church, and uh, and they relate this story to me. I'm not going to tell you the person's name. I was standing in the paint department at Lowe's about a month ago when a voice behind me said, I'm sorry, but I just need to ask, what is Serve Our City? It took me a few se- it took us a few seconds for me to realize what the person had said and a little longer before I realized that he might be talking to me. I looked down and sure enough I was wearing my 2028 shirt. Uh 2028 serve our city if you haven't been at Green Tree very long is a day in June where we gather together on a Saturday and we spend the entire day spreading out all over Kirkwood, all over St. Louis doing a variety of different service projects and we uh, have t-shirts uh that say serve our city on them. So that was the t-shirt this person was wearing. So I turned around and said, well, our church has a day when we all get together to do various service projects throughout the city. My daughter and I painted painted bleachers at the local high school, and my son and husband helped repair bikes. But there are a lot of different projects going on. He said, wow, that's the coolest thing I've ever heard. Where is your church? And Kirkwood, I've said, I never heard of a church doing anything like that. That's really neat, he said. Thanks, I said. As he walked away, I thought, wow. It is so cool that I got to share that with him. Then I thought, wow, people are reading my shirt. I better be careful how I act. (laughs) Now, I love that story for a couple of reasons. One one is I love the fact that in paint stores, God shows up and gives you a chance to talk to somebody. But But what I appreciate more about this email is what's so absolutely and unequivocally disturbing about this email that this person would be thinking about the church of Jesus Christ, hear a story about people just doing... Friends, this is a pretty simple deal we do one day a year. I mean, you know, this is nothing phenomenal, okay? I mean, it's great that we do it, but this is not not anything over the top. And that this person's reaction 
is I've never heard of a church doing anything like that. We call ourselves disciples of Jesus. The love of Christ controls us. Friends, if the love of Jesus controlled the church and the manner in which Paul is speaking, that guy would have said, I could tell you a dozen churches I know that do that. It's not that we're great people because we do 2028, but the more fundamental question is, how is the church so invisible to the world when it comes to the question of the love of Christ? Because we know where Jesus is. We know where Christ goes to the hurting and to the broken. He meets us in our brokenness, doesn't he? He meets us with his grace at our point of need. Paul says, then that ought to control us. That ought to be the directing influence in our lives. What is our motivation? Is the love of Christ the constraining influence at Green Tree Community Church? Second question is this, what will be our priorities? As we look to the future, if our motivation is the love of Christ, how does that help formulate our priorities? Well, look at verse 15. Paul goes on to say, talking about Jesus, and he died for all. He's talking about his death on the cross that pays for our sins. That those who live, and now he's not talking about people that are alive. He's talking about people that are disciples of Jesus, people that have new life in Christ, okay? So those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised to life. What will be our priorities? If I'm controlled by his love, then it stands to reason, and Paul rightly concludes logically in his verse, that we will live for him, that Jesus owns my loyalties, that as I organize my life, as I organize my finances, as I organize my relationships with people, as I organize my time, my treasure, and my talent, that's kind of the way we say it here at Green Tree, I will do so in a manner that is indicative of the fact that I live for Jesus. I don't live for you. I don't live for my family. I don't ultimately live for myself. I live for Jesus. And so I can live for Jesus in my church. I can live for Jesus in my family. I can live for Jesus in my community, and that will organize my priorities. I will begin to see the world through the eyes of Christ. If you've been around Green Tree at any length of time, you probably know some amount of our mission statement. It's on the Seasons Weekly. You can read it if the sermon gets too boring. But basically it says uh, that we want to make disciples. Why do we want to make disciples? Because we see the world through the eyes of Jesus and we understand that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. That Jesus said, anybody who comes to me, I'll never turn them away. I'll always welcome them. I'm the good shepherd. We want to make disciples because we see the world as needing Christ as Savior. We go on to say that we want to plant churches. Why do we want to do that? Because our influence only goes so far. We can only stretch ourselves into so many different places. But how many neighborhoods and communities in St. Louis still need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? And if we can start a new congregation, whether it's in the city or in the suburbs, if we can bring to bear a group of people who will love Christ, who will live for him in that community, then that community can be a different place. And the third wheel on the spoke, or the third spoke on the wheel is that we want to renew communities. We want Kirkwood, Glendale, to pair the surrounding area. We want it to be a better place because Christians live here. Is that true today? Would my neighbor say, you know, our street's a better street because the Rickses live on our street simply because they love Jesus and they live for him? 
I believe we need to be purposeful about this. We need to be purposeful about our priorities. I want to suggest to you today that if you get some time today or maybe this week uh, during a week of prayer and fasting, you're skipping a meal, you're praying for a green tree, maybe do this as an exercise this week. Living for Christ means blank. Write that down on a piece of paper. Living for Christ means what? What does it mean to you? What does it mean to me for me to live for Christ? Be prayerful about that. Share it with a friend. Ask, ask friends to pray for you that you would discern the gifts that God has given you, the talents that God has given you, the resources God has given you, and how can you use those for him because it's him for whom you live. He will arrange our priorities. The third question is this. If that happens, if I love Jesus, if I live for Jesus, who's going to benefit? Well, look at verse 16. Paul says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. To regard someone according to the flesh, uh, that phrase uh, that Paul uses there means that my interaction with them is based on selfish motives. It means that, that when I'm interacting with you, I'm looking for what I can get out of the equation. What do you bring into the table? How will you help me? How will you serve me? How will you encourage me? And if, and if you don't have anything to offer, I might be polite. I might be you know, nice and shake your hand and say, how are you doing? But if you don't have anything to offer, I'm on my merry way. I know time for you because people are here to serve me, not vice versa. That's regarding people according to the flesh. And if I don't find them useful, then I disregard them and I break off any kind of significant relationship with them. And Paul says, that's how we used to live. We used to live as though people were here to serve us, but we no longer regard anyone according to the flesh. Rather, we embrace Christ, and now we serve him. Now we share the gospel. Now we have a mission. Uh, Now we are thinking about the world in a very different framework, and the people that benefit are going to be the people that are around us. And that's how you answer the question. You say, Tom, okay, who is going to benefit? If, if Green Tree does this, who's going to benefit? I'll tell you who's going to benefit. It's going to be your friends. It's going to be your family. It's going to be your neighbors, your coworkers. It's going to be the people that you finally convinced to wander in here on, on Sunday mornings. I was talking to a friend on Friday. Guy, I, I love this guy. Um, doesn't go to Green Tree. Doesn't know the Lord. And, and we're talking a little bit. And one of the things he said was, you know, I know some people at Green Tree. And, and what intrigues me about Green Tree is it's really... Well, it seems to be a place that, that's very uh, non-judgmental, that you kind of welcome anybody in there. He says, I know some of your folks, and they, they kind of come across that way. I said, well, you know, we don't get the credit for that. If that's true, and I pray to God that it is, I pray that anybody would feel welcome at Green Tree, it's because grace has found us. I said, look, I'm not preaching at you, and I, you know, I, but you ought to stop by sometime. You ought to come check it out. And he said, well, I drive by on Sunday morning, and I see the sign. I said, that's a good start. You're getting closer. <laughs> you know, pretty soon on those Sundays, you're just going to have a knee-jerk reaction to turn into the parking lot. You know, I, I trust God for that. But you know what? I said, that's, that's who's going to benefit. It's that guy that, that, that right now, he just he can't quite get there. Who benefits? Who are the people around you? I'm, I'm kind of going through my emails. This is my week to do my emails. This is an email I got way back in June of last year person is talking about coming into a worship and they said, hi, Tom, I wanted to share with you my worship experience this morning. My son and I were walking in about 1040, sat behind a mom and a young teenage son. As the music started and everyone stood to sing, the young man remained seated playing uh, Pac-Man with earphones stuck in his ears. I wanted to thump him and tell him to stand up. 
I wanted to tell his, young, uh, his, tell his mom that he was old enough at least to stand up. Whether he wanted to participate or not, yes, all of this judgment going on during worship. Then I realized it was Pac-Man he was playing, an easy game, too easy for a 13 or 14-year-old. I took a closer look. He had special needs, maybe CP, maybe autism. It was difficult to determine. My perspective immediately changed. Must have been a long morning for them already just to get there. The mom was enjoying the singing and her son was enjoying his Pac-Man. Then the sermon started, the one about who is the greatest, the one about the little children. I watched with tears as this mom took care of her son during the sermon. Gentle touches, soft words, back rubs. He responded with smiles. She was taking care of one of the least of these in such a beautiful way. The boy didn't hear about Christ because of the earphones in his ears. He saw Christ in his mom sitting next to me. I hope to sit by them again some Sunday. I learned so much. Uh, That friend was sitting behind uh, the woman who just shared her story with you a few moments ago. She was sitting behind Maureen and Kyle. Who is it going to benefit? You don't know. Might be somebody that just observes you from a distance, notices something about you that's different. Might be that you actually benefit another disciple of Jesus. This, this friend said, you know, this was a great learning experience for me. I was, I was wrestling with being judgmental. And here God is speaking to me, not, not so much in the, in the sermon, but in the sermon right in front of my eyes. Friends, trust me when I say, because it's in scriptures now, because I say it, if the love of Christ controls us, if he sets our priorities, it will be enormous benefit to our own souls as well as to those around us. I believe That's who we are to be as a congregation. But there's one last question, and I actually think it's the most important. Because up to this point, we've been talking about seeing the world through the eyes of Jesus. But the second point I mentioned at the outset was that we must see ourselves as Jesus sees us. And the the fourth question, therefore, is where do we begin? And we begin in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You see, it doesn't start with getting an outward focus on other people. It doesn't start on making sure that, uh, that my motives are in the right place. It starts with me understanding my identity in Christ. It starts with me understanding that when that verse says anyone, it includes Tom Ricks because Tom Ricks is in Christ. If Tom Ricks is in Christ, he is a new creation. I, I've said this to you on numerous times, and I'll say it to you a lot more times if God permits me to keep pastoring. I talk to people a lot and ask the question, what would God say if he came in here and and talked about you right now? What's God's impression of you? And I've said this to you before. Most of the time when people ask that question, it's a negative answer. Oh, he'd be disappointed. He'd be frustrated. He would be, he'd say, I saved him, but you know what, boy, he's not done much since then, you know? Um, Did you hear Maureen's words this morning? I so often ask God what I had done to deserve this. I felt such guilt as if I had done something wrong somewhere along the line and God was punishing me. Friends, I think for the majority of the people in this room and a lot of us who have been disciples for a long, long time, that's the voice that we hear most often. It's the voice of condemnation. And yet we just sang in the hymn, no condemnation, now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. All right? But do we believe that? Do we embrace that truth that we are a new creation? Lots of us live in this place of self-condemnation 
many of us have these doubts and these lies rolling through our mind. I don't think Jill and Chris and Maureen and their stories are in any way um, odd <laughs> or, the, or the exception to the rule. I think they're the rule. I, I went back on Saturday and looked at my schedule for last week. I had, I had five different conversations with five different guys, uh, all of whom are, are guys in our church. And every one of those conversations boiled down to us in some, some topic we were talking about, it, but it came down to trying to see ourselves as the beloved of God. <laughs> That's really what it boiled down to. We're trying to get our minds around the fact that God loves us unconditionally, that he delights in us, and that we are a new creation in Christ. And friends, that's where it has to start. It doesn't begin with programs. It doesn't begin next Sunday when I, bring, I figure out how much money I'm going I'm to share with Green Tree and bring, and bring it forward and make my commitment. That's great, and we all need to do that. But it doesn't begin there. It doesn't begin with saying, okay, I'm going to go out and find somebody to, to share the gospel with this week. It doesn't begin there. It begins in your heart, believing that you belong to God through what Christ has done and that you are precious to him, not because of what you do, not because of who you are, not because of what church you go to, but because Christ has loved you from the foundation of the world. Unless my, I see myself as a new creation, precious to God, I will have no vision for others. But when I see myself as a new creation, beloved by God, my vision, and I believe the vision of Green Tree Community Church becomes clear and sharp and keen because we rejoice in the gospel. We laugh out loud at the fact that God would save people like us. And we can't wait to see how he's going to use that in the lives of others. That's a vision. That's our vision for each one of us as individuals. I believe it's our vision for Green Tree to be identified in Christ, fixed and sure in our hearts, controlled by his love, living for him and sharing his grace with others. Let's pray together.